Good afternoon. Welcome back to our time together here. We're glad you've had the opportunity to visit with us, to listen to these messages from the Lord. Just a quick review before we start. Um, Our message just a few days ago was important. And so I want to remind you what that was. There's a one phrase we shared with you. Let Christ in and he'll cleanse you from sin. We talked about God's forgiveness and how he is willing and anxious to cleanse us from sin. Then the one after that, we talked about give God your best. He'll take care of what? The rest. You got it? And then just yesterday, to make a new start, give God what? Your whole heart. You remember that quite well. Those three messages, which to some degree form the basis for our time together here. Before we begin, before I open the word, I'd like to have a short word of prayer. Right now, Holy Father, I pray that you will speak through me so that the words that I share here are indeed words from your holy word, words from on high. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As I've mentioned before, I was born and raised in the Republic of South Africa. And it just so happens that uh, that country a few years ago was called, this is the term, the skunk of nations. Why was it called the skunk of nations? Well, because when I was born and raised in that country, thousands of miles away, it had a policy of so-called segregation. They called it separate but equal. It was never equal. It was always separate, yes. And there was a term that comes from the Afrikaans language called apartheid. And that was the term that was used. And of course, South Africa was not loved, not respected because of its policy. But you know what? In mid-1994, I happened to be back in South Africa. I was there for some study. I was teaching at that time still at Southern Adventist University down in Tennessee. So I went back at that time in 1994. And the timing was just right because Nelson Mandela, the first democratically elected person to be the president of the country, was going to be inaugurated. It was an exciting time. Jubilation, celebration, dancing in the streets. I was there, I wanted to go to the inauguration because you could have gone, but I'll be honest, I was chicken. I had heard and seen enough evidence of bomb blasts and of killings and everything that had gone on uh, during some of the process leading up to this new democracy that I decided to stay home, and I did. And I watched, I was here in South Africa back then, and I watched the inauguration on television. But it was still an incredible time of rejoicing and joy. People who had been oppressed were now free. Some of you might wonder, and what were you? I was in between. I'm of mixed heritage. So yes, I myself did suffer in South Africa. Once even physically beaten up, a policeman tried to beat me. He got one blow on my back. Fortunately, my legs carried me fast enough and I got away. But yes, it wasn't always easy in the country in which I was raised in some de- to some degree, we were pioneers. That's what the president of one university or college said to us when we were the first, quote-unquote, persons of color allowed into this institution. But on the other hand, we were also guinea pigs because pioneers also are guinea pigs. So yes, I understand the joy, the rejoicing, the jubilation when things changed. Incidentally, if a new baby is born, there's also lots of joy. People are excited, praising the Lord for a new birth. 
However, however, what happens, think about this for a moment, if the baby doesn't grow? The baby stays the same size. How <laughs> you rush the baby to the hospital. There's a problem with my baby. What happens if a country doesn't radically grow afterwards to some degree? If the country stagnates and the new leaders become dictators, what happens? Congratulations turn into commiserations, right? Jeer, cheers turn into jeers and gladness is transformed into sadness. So as we're thinking about this whole issue in our Christian growth, we've looked for at least two days about the fact that God wants to come in and give us a brand new start, a brand new heart. We want to let Christ in so He'll cleanse us from sin. That's the beginning of the Christian life. We, we use the term justification. In simple terms, when God forgives us for our past. But that's the birth process. What should happen next is the question. And that's what we want to address right here together this afternoon. Now, just to remind you, a couple of texts. Go to Matthew chapter 26 by introduction and reminder of the things that we've looked at in the past. Here are two Bible verses just to remind you. Matthew 26, verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sins. We've been talking about that. Jesus wants to forgive us. He wants to cleanse us from all our past. Now we want to go to one more verse to remind us of what we've been talking about. That is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. The second one, just to review the past studies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This is quite a well-known passage. Many people have referred to this one in the past. Let's look at this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creature, new creation, that's right. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the issue we've been talking about. We've been forgiven. We have a new start. Now what? Now what? Let's go to one more passage and see how Paul puts that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. But there's something important in Ephesians chapter 2. Because sometimes there's a danger that we read only verses 8 and 9. And I want to read all three verses. They go together. Ephesians chapter 2, also in the writings of Paul by inspiration. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. There it is again. We've been saved by grace. How? Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Aha, uh -huh. very clear, correct? We're saved how? By grace. But don't forget verse 10. You've got to go to verse 10 to get the rest of the story, to get the rest of the picture. If you stop at verse 8 and 9, it's like the baby who never grows. There it is. That's the danger. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, the new creature. For what purpose? Notice, we are created for what purpose? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Very interesting. We must make sure as Christians, we always have this important balance. There is the beginning. We use the word growth, uh, grace, by the way. You have the grace to begin with, and then you have the growth. Those two things must never be separated. The beginning is by grace, yes, and then we must grow. We still grow by grace, that's right. We'll talk about that at the end, a beautiful verse. But those two mustn't be put against each other. Also, we say you are saved by grace through faith, correct? 
But faith, according to the Bible, if it doesn't have works, is what? Is dead. So you have the faith on the one hand and you have the fruit on the other hand. Very clear. In fact, the Bible points out that we are saved as, so that we can serve. Or put one more way, we have a right relationship with our Redeemer, forgiveness of sins, so that, and then we choose to make a covenant commitment to our Creator so that we can walk in His ways and live for Him. Those two things must always go together. We should never separate them. And so today I want to talk a little bit about what does it mean on this aspect here to grow. What are the fruits? How do we have this covenant commitment to our Creator? How do we serve the one who has saved us? How do we have fruit from our faith? How do we grow because of the grace of God? I would like to capture that in just three major concepts. It's going to be very easy for you to remember this. So today you can leave here knowing three simple, basic steps or basic necessities. Something that is vital so that when you leave today, you say, I now know for sure, according to Scripture, how I can definitely grow in this grace that the Lord has brought me through. Let's look at that. A few examples. The first one is a question. I want to ask you a question. I know we're in a medical area, so I'm sure I will get the right one, or I hope so. <laughs> what is the most important thing? The most important thing for physical life to exist, to be alive. What's most important? What, can, what, are you, what did you say? I, I was expecting food. We always have people, and yes, that's what you're just enjoying right here in this lunchtime together. But you know, you can go without food for quite a while. We'll talk about that uh, in, just since you raised it. Food, there is a world record that was set by Bobby Sands. Some of you remember 30-something years ago, Bobby Sands was one of the Irish Republican Army um, uh, people who was in a prison, and he went on a hunger strike. 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, 40 days, ate nothing. He just drank some liquid, drank some black tea. That's about all he had. 50 days, 60 days, 70 days. Bobby Sands set a brand new world record, not intentionally. He was on a hunger strike and he died 72 days later. The longest we know of somebody just going without food. Okay, you can go pretty long without food. Anything else? What do you think you need more, more importantly than food? Air, that's right, oxygen, air, yeah. We don't even think about it, you see, that's why. We don't think about it because it's so automatic. How long can you go without air? How long can I go without air? The, do you know what the world record is on that? A guy by the name of Robert Frost. He hyperventilated and then he went down to the bottom of a pool and they watched him and timed him so that there'd be no trickery. And he stayed at the bottom of that pool for 12 minutes. Now don't do this at home, okay? Or down at the Grayson Center here. Don't go down and try that. Please. Uh, I'm not encouraging you to do that. But that was the world record set by... By, um, Robert Frost some years ago. Uh, that was broken, by the way. That was broken by a boy in Michigan. As you know, I live in Michigan. It's pretty cold there right now. My wife says we've, got, we've gotten snow back home, which is, of course, normal for Michigan. What did he do? This kid was on the edge of a river, and he was playing there, or playing on the ice, whatever happened, but he fell into the ice, and he went underwater, and he set a brand new world record. Because you know what happens when you're under the ice. Everything slows down. Your system slows down. And they fished him out at the other end. Another place where they found him. They pulled him out 40 to 45 minutes later. They thawed him out. 
Of course, took him to the hospital and etc. They thawed him out and there was no, they found no problems in him. The kid has grown up totally normally. So he set a new record, not intentionally, okay? Again, don't try that one. That is dangerous. But we know that you, your system slows down. But you cannot survive long without air. You have to breathe. It is so automatic you don't even think about it. <laughs> you don't think about it. Now I would like to compare that, the necessity. If you don't breathe, you die. What in the spiritual area can we compare air with? It sounds the same. You have air here. And what do you have in the spiritual area? Prayer. Air and prayer. Necessity number one. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to go to chapter 6 now. Um, verse 18. Just a few pages further. Chapter 6, verse 18. So remember, folks, if you want to stay alive physically, you must breathe. If you want to stay alive spiritually, you must be in the... Uh, Moment of prayer. What does Paul say? He says this, and he says it in another place too. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18. Pray what? Always. Without ceasing. That's right. Pray always. Right here. Ephesians 6 verse 18. Pray always. Or pray without ceasing. As he says in First Thessalonians in that letter. So that's the first thing. We've got to keep praying. Then he continues in this verse. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So when you pray, folks, please remember to pray in the Spirit. Share with you a short story. I have a friend whose uh, uh, son-in-law loved the Lord, was serving the Lord, full-heartedly, young man came down with terminal cancer. And she prayed and prayed, Lord, please cure my son-in-law. Please, he's doing such wonderful work for you. Please, God, I know you are the great physician. You can do that. Cure him. And she prayed for a cure. Prayed and prayed and prayed. He passed away. It was very difficult for my friend. It was almost devastating you know, we must pray for healing. But there's one thing we must always add the way Jesus did in His prayer. And what was that? Your will be done. That's right. Your will be done. Here it says, pray in the Spirit. Pray that God's will will be done because ultimately He knows what is best. So when I say air and prayer... It is prayer always, but prayer in the Spirit. And he continues, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. So be watchful, persevere, many things in this one verse, and supplication for all the saints. Don't just pray for yourself, pray for others. One verse saturated with lots of ideas about supplication, but it starts with pray how much? Always. So what's the first thing that is essential, both firstly for physical and for spiritual life? What are they? Air and prayer. I want you to repeat that. What's important? Air and prayer. I don't want you to forget that. Very, very vital. Let's look at the example of Jesus. He is the one who came to this world, lived for us, died for us. Jesus' example, I want to show you very quickly. The book of Luke, by the way, has so many incredible examples showing that Jesus' life was permeated with prayer. Look at Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Reading from the New King James Version, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. He continued all night in prayer. 
Luke 6 verse 12. Now you're saying, why did he do that all night? Ah, the context shows there was a very important decision that he had to make. Because right after that, he selects the 12 disciples who become the 12 apostles. There are times in our lives when we need to spend a lot of time in prayer. Spend it if you need to. Spend the time as much as you can in prayer. By the way, Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said this. I have to spend more time in prayer when I know I have a busy day ahead of me. Wait a minute. It's counterintuitive. He says, because then I know I'm going to need the Lord more. So I need to spend more time in prayer. Go back to Luke chapter 5, just the chapter before. So here, praying all night, but not just praying all night when it's vital. Look at chapter, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. So he, Jesus, withdrew himself often into the wilderness and prayed. He withdrew and went into the wilderness and prayed. This is the life of Jesus. Go to chapter 9, verse 28. A few examples here, very briefly, very quickly. You'll find the book of Luke has so many examples. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Now it came to pass, about eight days after these things, that he took Peter, John, and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. He didn't just pray alone. He also took his close band of this, the three of them, very close to him, and he went up there to pray. And it's interesting, the rest, all of the disciples then wanted to learn how to pray. Look at Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Because they came to him. A couple of chapters later you see this. Now it came to pass, Luke 11 verse 1, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, he stopped praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And one more example, go to Luke chapter 18. Not only did Jesus pray, teach others to pray, he also taught parables and stories about praying. Prayer is vital, folks. Without prayer, you will die spiritually. Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray. There it is again. Always pray and not lose heart. So most important in the physical life is air and in the spiritual life is what? Prayer. Air and prayer. What is the second most important now? Hmm... I heard somebody say water. Yes, water true. You cannot go without water for more than generally a week. Some other records have been set, but uh, uh, there was a, uh, one gentleman apparently who lived for close to three weeks without any liquids. Unusual. Food, you can live a longer time. I'd like to put the two together. The concept of nutrition. Yes, Food and water, because you'll find somebody in the hospital, they're not eating, they're not drinking, but the nutrition is still coming in intravenously, right? They have an IV. You need nutrition. You need oxygen, you need nutrition. And I use the short word feed. F-E-E-D. You must feed, yes, if you want to stay alive physically, and if you want to stay alive spiritually, what must you do? Read, you're right. Very easy to remember. Feed in the physical area, and read in the spiritual area. I'm going to test my class now, my Bible class. What is the first one for both physical and then spiritual life? What is it? And? Right. And in the, the second one is what? Feed and? Feed and read. You're doing well. Feed and read. Let's look at an example of this. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Beautiful example of Christian believers who were serious about their commitments very serious about that. Apparently these were Jews and they were listening to uh, Paul before joining the Christian community. These were the Jews he was visiting there uh, in the town of Berea. He went to the synagogue 
Acts chapter 17, verse 11, these Bereans were more fair-minded, or as some say, more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness. They listened to the message, and then what did they do? They searched the scriptures, how often? Daily. There it is, folks. Daily to find out whether these things were so. I'm going to ask you a quick question. I want to see the hands of those who eat once per week physical food. Nobody's hand going up. The reason I ask that question, I do find very sadly that some people, the only time they feed spiritually is, guess what, once a week. That's very sad. Very sad. And if you do that, you're going to die. You're starving yourself. I love the example of the Bereans. They fed daily on the Word of God. Read and Feed or feed and read. This is important. What does Jesus tell us? Always want to go back to Jesus' example. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus now compares the physical with the spiritual, just as I've been sharing with you here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And then I'm going to share with you one phrase to remember the whole message for today. Matthew 4, verse 4. Jesus responding to the temptations of the devil, saying, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, not just physical food, right? But how? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Very important. You don't simply live on physical food. You have to have spiritual food. And here is the phrase I'd like you to capture and to see if you can memorize. I give you about 8 to 10 words for you to remember. And this is simply, grow in the Lord by the light of His word. You want to say it with me? Grow in the Lord by the light of His Word. Now folks, growing is painful. Very painful. In fact, there used to be a saying years ago, no pain, no what? No gain. Now by the way, they say be careful of that because you can hurt yourself. But generally growing is very painful. You know what happens to a little baby when the baby starts teething. We're glad to see the tooth, but we're sad to hear the sound, right? The baby finds pain in that. We all want to go the easy way. And I have something that came on the internet here one day that just caught my attention. And I have to share that with you because so many times people want to go for the easy way. I have it with me. We've got it on the screen for you as well. A genuine college degree, it says, in what? Two weeks. Have you ever thought that the only thing stopping you from a great job and better pay was a few letters behind your name? Well, now you can get them. B-A, B-S-C, M-A. I hope nobody's written down the, uh, the phone number there. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so look at that. Within two weeks, they are real, genuine degrees that include bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees. What are you guys doing here? Wasting your time at Loma Linda, in other words. Okay? Hold on. They are verifiable and student records. Okay? And transcripts are also available. This is a little-known secret that's been kept quiet for years. Everybody wants to go the shortcut. We all want to do what? We want to go the easy way. (laughs) That one just, I I didn't call the number. I hope you didn't write it down. Ah, order yours today. Just call the number below. You'll thank me later on. We all want to go the easy way. Isn't that right? (laughs) But growth, folks, is painful. It takes time. It takes change. It's not easy. And, And in this sense, even in the Christian life, no pain no gain. But Jesus says, you must live on the Word of God. Okay? And He's very practical, by the way. Very, very practical. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5 now. Matthew 5, then very next chapter, verses 27 through 30. Because you know the Bible does say, 
Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if we put the word in our hearts, we will then be able to withstand these temptations. Now look here. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I want you to be very practical because I know that everywhere we go, we are bombarded with sensual, salacious, seductive advertising. No matter where we go, music, the words, the books, the advertisements, the commercials, everywhere we are bombarded. What does Jesus say? What's the solution? Already, already he said, you must feed on the word, right? Feed on the word. Now he gets practical in, in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, ah, guess what folks? Identify the triggers. What is it? And you know in your own life, I know in my own life, what are the things that distract me to the point of de dangerous temptation? Be careful. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin. So identify the triggers, pluck it out, cast it from you. Go to verse uh, 30, same idea. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. Strong words, incredibly strong words. You know, years ago, a few years ago, I heard the story, I saw it rather, of a young man by the name of Aaron Ralston. He was in Blue John Canyon, out there canyoneering on his own, told nobody where he was going. As he was climbing down one of those boulders, a huge one, it came loose and it came tumbling above his head. He tried to push himself away. As he pushed, his arm got caught as the boulder got wedged. And he was on his feet, by the way, when it got wedged. And unfortunately, he had told no one where he was going. And where he was, a cell phone couldn't work. He was so far down in this canyon. And even if he had one, he didn't take one with him anyway. What to do? He thought of all of his options. He tried rigging up a harness. He was a mechanical engineer. He knew what to do. He tried. This boulder weighed 800 pounds. 24 hours went by. No rescue. 48 hours, no rescue. 72 hours, no rescue. He had a little bit of... Uh, the re uh, I believe it is Dorito and a little bit of water. I think it was about eight ounces. And he realized, so he started spreading this out. He was a survivalist. He is actually part of a mountain rescue team. And here he was in this bad situation. He realized that he has to think up something. So he looked for his knife and he began to try to cut his arm off. It was too blunt. The knife was. He tried to chip away at the rock. Nothing worked. By the time day five came, he realized he was going to die. He was just at the edge. And the reason he knew that, because accidentally, he, his hand was stick, sticking there. As he was fiddling with his hand, the knife punctured his thumb and it exploded. And he realized his hand had died already. There was no way to rescue it. And he thought, if I don't get out of here now, I'm a dead man. So he broke his arm, both bones. And then he took that blunt knife and cut it off. Then he bandaged it up and he rappelled down a 60-foot cliff with his one hand and walked about six miles out. That's what sin is like, folks. Dangerous, deadly, you have to cut it off. Jesus is being serious here. If your right hand causes you to sin... Now, obviously, he's not talking about literally. In Aaron Ralston's place, position, if he didn't do it, he would have died. Incidentally, my wife bought the book for me, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I don't know, maybe she thought she wanted to make sure I love adventure and I'm having to be more careful. You know, a loving wife does that for us husbands. So this is his story, incredible story. But if sin is like that, you must cut it off. Don't dabble with sin. Don't 
take chances. If you know there's a problem, cut it off very soon, immediately. Otherwise, we will be dragged into sin. That is number two. Now I have to ask you the question. But people say, but, but I'm born in a certain way. I, I cannot help it. My, the sin I do is because God made me that way. Have you heard those excuses? And you know, I've been reading. I came across a, a, a book. You can even get it here online, right here in your library. That's where I went. I printed out these pages. A book came out in the year 2002 by John Ratey, neuropsychiatrist from Harvard University. The name of the book, A User's Guide to the Brain. Interesting. And in this book, he talks about the argument between nature and nurture. And people say, oh, I'm born this way. Others say, no, society made you that way. Is it environment or is it the genes? Which one is it? And this gentleman, the psychiatrist, says, it is neither genes predispose you to possible trouble, but your lifestyle can be the more important determining factor. Environment can even negate strong genetic predispositions. Now he goes further. Listen to this. And they look at, he looks at the twin studies. He says there are actually two sets of twin studies. The twin studies that show that the, you have a same, similar disposition from ge the genetics, but also there's a twin study that shows one adult Separated at birth, basically, the one grows up a schizophrenic, the other doesn't. Interesting. And then Dr. John Rady makes this incredible statement. I want to read it to you right now. The point to remember is that the issue is not nature versus nurture. I'm reading further. I'll read this most of this paragraph to you. It is the balance between nature and nurture. Genes do not make a man gay or violent or fat or a leader. Genes merely make proteins. The chemical effect of these proteins may make the man's brain and body more receptive to certain environmental influences. But the extent of those influences will have as much to do with the outcome as the genes themselves. Furthermore, and he sounds almost like a Christian, but he's a psychiatrist from Harvard, neuropsychiatrist. Furthermore, we humans are not prisoners of our genes or our environment. Then he has these four words, genes, uh, sorry, we have free will. Interesting. Then he goes further. Genes are overruled every time an angry man restrains his temper, a fat man diets, and an alcoholic refuses to take a drink. Interesting. This is a book that came out in 2002 by a Harvard neuropsychiatrist. Folks, it's, there's no excuse. We can choose if we want to submit our wills to God. Let's go to the third and final one. I've, we've done with the air, with the feeding. There's one more thing you need to remain healthy and strong. What is it? Exercise. I'd like to use the word fitness because the word fitness rhymes with what? With witness, that's right. Fitness, short story. Uh, there was a, a, a physical therapist who decided to do a study at a nursing home. There were people there and she selected all the octogenarians. And these people in their 80s were all chair-bound or wheelchair-bound or lying in bed. They, they couldn't get around. And she asked them, who of you wants to join my group? Because I'm going to put you through exercise, 8 to 12 weeks. And these octogenarians joined her group and guess what? At the end of that study and of that experiment, every one of those 80-year-olds was up and walking around. They were not wheelchair-bound. They were not in bed simply because of old age. They were there because they hadn't exercised. Interesting. 
Okay, that's the key. Fitness. And in the spiritual realm, we go to witness. So let's turn again to the example of Jesus. Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Mark chapter 5, verse 19. Mark 5, verse 19. This is Jesus. There was this demon-possessed man that Jesus had healed, cured. And verse 19, he wants to, uh, verse 18, he begs to go with Jesus. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. So Jesus says, go and witness. Go and share with your friends. Tell them what God has done in your life. Don't just stay and hang around. You know, there's a thing they call seminar junkies. Have you heard of that term? There are some Christians who love going to seminars and they go from seminar to seminar to seminar and they keep learning and they keep learning and they never go out and share it. And that's a term I've heard, a seminar junkie. Now, by the way, it's wonderful to come to a place to be strengthened, but you must go out and share it. You must go out and witness. If you don't witness, you will die spiritually. Yes, your spiritual muscles will atrophy. One more quote here from Dr. Rady. Again, interesting. He goes and he talks about the importance, the necessity actually of exercise. Listen to this. Talk about the brain. Remember, this is the book on a user's brain. The human brain's amazing plasticity enables it to continually rewire and learn, not just through academic study, but through experience, thought, action, and emotion. Now he says this, as with our muscles, we can strengthen our neural pathways with brain exercise, or we can let them wither. The principle is the same. Use it or what? Use it or lose it. There it is. Interesting. So here, again, Dr. Rady agrees basically with this biblical principle. You've got to go out and use what God has blessed you with. Let me share with you a short story. One of my friends, actually my best buddy, I've known him for close to 40 years now. We uh, were actively involved in sharing the love of Jesus. But one day he showed up and he had a t-shirt on. And on his t-shirt he had basically the sign. And so we've got it up there for you. T-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. And I turned to him and I said, hey, what does that stand for? And it definitely caught my attention, which was his purpose which was his plan and uh, he said oh oh it says this please be patient god is not finished with me yet now first i'm i'm first going to sound a caution never use this as an excuse to remain where you are okay you might have been doing something for the last five years and you're saying please be patient but actually it's a just a bad habit it's an evil practice it's a sin that you're clinging to we're not talking about that okay we're talking about here being willing to grow this is the aspect we're talking about today we've been saved by grace but we grow through god's love and his grace this is talking about growth And by the way, thank God for friends who will help us to grow positively. They will encourage us, but they will also challenge us. They will love us enough to stop us when we're going the wrong way. Those are true friends. So here it was, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. Folks, growth is painful. It is not pleasant. Many times it hurts to grow. But growth is necessary. You must grow if you want to stay alive. 
Three essentials I am suggesting to you today for both physical and spiritual life. Let's see if you can remember them. What's most important in both phys- uh, physical and spiritual? Most important, what is it? And? That's right, air and prayer. Secondly? That's right, feed and read. And finally? That's right, fitness and witness. Three vital essentials if you want to be a healthy human being in the physical area as well as a healthy human being in the spiritual area. I've got to go to one more statement here. And that is in Matthew. We find we're challenged to grow. Jesus wants us to go out and share with others to let them know about His love. To let them know about the fact that Jesus wants others to come to Him. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. The challenge to every one of us. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's what we are challenged to do. Go out and share with others. Tell others about God's love. But be patient with each other. There's a little saying I share with people. Be tough on yourself, but tolerant of others. Right? Be tough on yourself, but tolerant of others. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. How many of you here today want to say, Lord, I've been saved by grace. Help me now to grow by grace. Let me see your hands because I'd like to pray with you. Keep your hands up. Lord, you see the hands right there. We've been saved by grace. We want to grow in your love. And so, Lord, we pray that every one of us here who has raised a hand will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. May God bless you. Go in peace. We hope to see you tomorrow, noon. And uh, pick up a copy of some material today as you leave. Material that will reiterate some of the basic principles I've shared with you from the front. May God bless you. Have a good day.